Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again today. I, I think you've probably been watching the news. I've been watching it, and I am, I'm hearing a word that I don't hear a whole lot is the word obstructionist. Maybe you've heard that too. And I looked that up, and that's someone who systematically obstructs some action that others want to take. And there's a whirlwind of activity in Congress right now. As you know, we lost Supreme Justice... Um, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg last Friday, and that left an opening in the highest court in the land. And quite often, the we know the bent of that court and those justices caused them to rule on major decisions and set the direction of the country. So I don't think this is what was intended by the Constitution, but it is the case. It is the case nonetheless. The court was leaning towards a more conservative opinions of the law by a vote of 5-4. And now that Justice Ginsburg had died, and if the public, Republicans can do this fast enough, uh, more conservative thinking, another conservative thinking justice will be appointed and widen that gap to 6-3. to three. Well, the Democrats... Uh, want to slow things down until after the election. Of course, if if Biden wins, then they'll get to pick that Supreme Court justice, and so they will be they will be acting as obstructionists during this whole process. Now, I'm not casting any dispersions here because in 2016 the shoe was on the other foot, and Obama had announced uh, uh, Chief uh, Justice or um, Judge Garland to take. Um, the place of of Justice Scalia on the high court, and the Republican senators vowed to ignore any nomination until after the uh, 2016 election, so they were obstructionists too. It's a very powerful weapon in politics. Unfortunately, obstructionism has escaped from the walls of Congress, and sadly, it's it's uh, invaded the church, and Christians can impede or obstruct the mission of Jesus. Today's conversation is between Jesus and Zacchaeus, and we're going to see that some people in that in that situation who were listening, who were there with Jesus, were serving as obstructionists. So if you would, take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at this together. Uh, we mentioned this conversation as, as context in the teaching of the parable on the ten minus just a few weeks ago, but today we want to look at this conversation uh, with Jesus very closely. So Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. He is Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I can relate to that. Verse 4, So he ran on ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, this is the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone and to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, 
Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he's also the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There's a few good points that I want to make out here. And first is not in the list, but uh, first is that this is uh, this really makes for a very good song. And you know, if you've not ever heard Zacchaeus was a wee little man, you need to get on YouTube and and you need to or Google this and find the video of some kid doing this. It is awesome. Okay, so now now let's get back to the, to the real points in this passage. We see in verse one that Jesus was on his way to do something big. Jesus was traveling with a, a lot of people. They were headed towards Jerusalem for a Passover. This was mandated, by the way, for, for uh, Israelites. In, in Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, Three times a year all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God at a place that he will choose. They, uh, they understood that to be Jerusalem. And they will appear at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So all Jews assumed that this place would be Jerusalem, and so a lot of them were headed that way. They were making the pilgrimage, and they were going with money in their pockets. Now, of course, Jesus had bigger reasons to go to Jerusalem. He was going to die. He, he knew that he would die in that city during the largest gathering of the year. So he was going through Jericho to get to that all-important city and event, and a lot of people were going with him. Now, we can understand this type of traveling because uh, we like to go on vacation. So whether it's the beach or the mountains, we go every year for vacation, and you have to go through those small towns to get to your destination, Right. And those towns are, are dependent upon your your business during that, that pilgrimage, if you will. Now, we're not going there empty-handed. We've been saving up money all year long, and so we make those stops to use the bathrooms, to grab some snacks, to put gas in the car. Um, and our kids are, are can continually saying, are, are we there yet? And how much longer? And this is so boring. And so this was kind of the setting that Jesus was in. They were, they were headed to Jerusalem, just passing through their city. They had money in their pockets. The crowd was anxious for, for, uh, to get to Jerusalem. And so Jesus was on his way to something big, to something big in Jerusalem. The second thing that I want you to notice is that Zacchaeus, he knew about Jesus, he did. Well, of course he did. He knew about Jesus. He was one of the, the biggest topics of the day. This was a, a, a miracle man, an important man, and he was chief. Uh, Zacchaeus was chief tax collector, so he had people that, all over the city that worked for him that, that told him the news and, and the rumors, and so of course he knew that this man was coming through his city. Now, because of his wealth and, and his position, Zacchaeus, he, he was plugged into politics and society in a big way, and, and he no doubt had heard the rumors that, that, you know, that this crowd was coming following Jesus to the Passover, and he no, no doubt wanted to see this man for himself, so much so that, that he did something that no respectable man would do, and that is to climb a tree. To climb a tree to see him. This is not a very respectable position or a way to act for someone in Zacchaeus's position. So I can imagine that his motives were, were simply curiosity 
I can. I think he wanted to see Jesus, or maybe, maybe he 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 wanted to, his motive was political. Maybe he knew that people would be talking about this for weeks, and he wanted firsthand information to be in on those conversations. Or or maybe he was at a low point in his life. He had grown tired of the stressors that come with having wealth and and position and prestige, and and he was tired of putting off up this uh, facade that he was so important and so strong. Maybe he was at a low point in his life and he heard that Jesus was helping people and he wanted some help too. The Bible doesn't say his motive, but whatever the case, he had he had no idea that he would be the recipient of, of the invitation to dinner with such an important uh, social superstar like Jesus. So, of course, at the invitation, he jumps down from the tree and and he hosts Jesus into his home. Zacchaeus knew this moment was big because he heard the stories of Jesus. Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus knew about Jesus. But not only that, the third point I want to make is that Jesus knew Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus is God. The Bible teaches this. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through Him, they were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He fearfully and wonderfully made Zacchaeus. Of course, He knew Zacchaeus. That's why he, He knew His name without ever meeting Him. That's why he he knew that Zacchaeus lived in a house close by. That's why he knew that this was a special day for Zacchaeus. It, this was, by the way, this is the only recorded time in all of the Gospels where Jesus invites himself to somebody's house. Uh, every other time he had been an invited guest, but here he he saw that this guy was ripe for salvation, and so he invited himself. To his house, he's he. After all, look, he saw Zacchaeus, this wealthy, uh, upstanding, very important man, sitting on a tree branch. I mean, that was unusual. That was unrespectable. He was humbling himself to see Jesus. So Jesus knew that he was ripe for salvation. Jesus knew this man. The fourth point is that Jesus was willing to take the criticism for stopping and talking with him. Jesus was willing to take the criticism. Parents. You, you know your kids are going to gripe about the ride to the vacation. That, you know, but getting them to the vacation spot is worth it. So you go through that. You know you're going to get the, the I am so bored. This is so boring. I don't even want to go. You're, you're going to have those moments on the way. But once you get there, it's going to be really, really good. And Jesus knew that by stopping and talking to Zacchaeus, he was making a very unpopular decision. Eating with this man would not sit well with with, uh, his followers. And this was nothing new. There were lots of times that he ate with sinners and the Pharisees gave him fits about it. There were times when he would stop and play with kids and the disciples would gripe about it. You see, the people, they hated Zacchaeus. Jesus was willing to take the heat to stop and talk to this guy. By the way, this is what leaders do. Sometimes leaders have to make hard decisions knowing that some people will not agree with them. But but they make that decision anyway. For, for example, you know, our, our deacons last week and the pastors, we decided to call off the services because we're having a small outbreak of COVID-19 in our in our church. And we knew that that would be unpopular by some. So some of think of us as 
that by doing that, that we're cowering to an evil regime or we're giving up our spiritual freedoms or bowing down to to, uh, the enemy. And, And this is just not the case. For the sake of our church family, we chose to do what was right and knew we would have to pay the consequences for it. After all, we have to give an account for tending the flock of God. Now, I know we have to give an account for feeding them, but we also have to give an account of how well we tended them, how well we met their needs, how well we protected them. Now, we can have a discussion about that if you like, but my conscience is clear on that, and I'm just going to take the heat for it. And that's where Jesus was. Jesus knew that this would be a hard decision because, he, one, he was stopping on the way to their destination, and two, he was stopping for such a, a ridiculously evil man. And so he was willing to live with the, with the consequences. The fifth point is that Zacchaeus was saved. Zacchaeus was saved because of this. One chapter earlier and one week ago, we learned that salvation of a rich person is, is extremely difficult extremely difficult, but but not impossible, not impossible with God. Something spiritually miraculous happened in this conversation. Somewhere between the time that Jesus called him by name and the dessert, salvation showed up, and Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord. Now that word Lord is the word kurios, and it means that Zacchaeus recognized that Jesus ruled and reigned over him, that Jesus actually possessed or owned him. Zacchaeus admitted this publicly, that Jesus was ruler and owner of his life. So he placed his trust in Jesus, and he publicly stated that. Then to prove that his salvation was real, he responded by offering to right the wrongs that he did to people. You see, that comes from a repentant heart. A repentant heart will always do this. So Zacchaeus was indeed saved that day. Then the last point I want to make about this passage is that Jesus said this event was on purpose. Jesus came to offer salvation primarily to the Jews. We know this. And he left his disciples to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, and they did, hence the reason that I'm saved today. And this is why he said today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Now, his lineage had little to do with what was being offered to Zacchaeus, because salvation would eventually be offered to everyone. His lineage had very little to do with that. Only the when and the who would offer it to him is affected by him being a son of Abraham. So because this conversation and the resulting uh, action was taking, Jesus stated very clearly that this is why he was here. He says, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now this This town being on the road to Jerusalem, we know it was on purpose. This time was ordained by God. This encounter was not a coincidence. This day was the day set out for the salvation of Zacchaeus. And the event and the conversation, it was all part of the setup in accordance to the purposes of God. So how can we uh, apply these things to our lives? What can we glean from this today so that we can live better lives. Well, there's a few things that I want to tell you. One, I want to encourage you to walk through life slowly. Don't don't live your life so fast because you might miss a spiritual opportunity. And I 
know that we're in a, in a big hurry today. We're in a hurry to get to school, hurry to get to practice. We got to get to adulthood. I wish it would come sooner is what every teenager says. And then you say, well, we got to get to work and we got to get to a level of financial freedom. And if I can just get to retirement and, and, and we rush and we push our lives and in our rush to arrive, we miss out on the little things in life and the big moments ordained by God. I mean, think about it. What if, what if the encounter at the gas station on the way to your vacation was actually ordained and set up by God to be the day of salvation for the guy pumping gas next to you? What if, what if that hurried dinner uh, is, is a setup by God so that you can impart some, some real wisdom and learning into your child's life? See, we have to walk through life slowly or we'll miss those things. Now, I'm not giving you permission to be late for everything. God would never tell you that because that is rude, it's disrespectful, it's narcissistic. Don't be late. Be on time. What we are saying is maybe leave a little earlier. Take your time getting to that destination and see what God is opening up for you. Just walk through your life slower. There's something to be said about that. Secondly, I would encourage you to practice unconditional positive regard. I learned that phrase when I was a teenager. And that is just seeing people in the the best possible light. See, the most unlikely person can have an interest in and be called by Jesus to salvation. I mean, can we really know what a person is experiencing in their hearts at any, any, any given point in their life? People... People might be tired of the socially acceptable lifestyle while living in the middle of it. I mean, even the the richest person, the person who's arrived financially, they might be turned off by the shallow materialism of the world in in a a certain part of their life. And, And people might be desperate for something that's real that they can stand on. So don't be fooled by a person's lifestyle or their bank account or their social status. Don't be blinded by a a hatred for their sin. God might be ready to save them. Give them a chance to make things right with God and with others. You see, an unconditional positive regard for everyone keeps the possibility of sharing the gospel open. Because if you look at them negatively... That might just close the door for any kind of conversation with them. The third thing I want to tell you is stick to the plan. Don't get sidetracked by the hype of the day. I mean, even Jesus, I mean, Jesus, we know that Jesus did not come to defeat the evil Roman regime. He didn't. He did not come to end poverty and, and all suffering. He didn't come to, to take care of all the poor and to feed all of the, the starving. He didn't do that. Jesus came to save people in their situations, not from their situations. So he was he he came for specific reason. Don't get sidetracked by any of those things that you missed your reasons for being here too. He's called us to first love him and make disciples. And along that way we encounter where we're going to encounter evil and might have to deal with it, but not always. I I remember a great story that I heard back in my college days, about Jonathan Edwards. He was the, a revival speaker in early America, and during the Great Awakening, maybe you've, you've heard of that. 
Well, the legend says that he was asleep in his room one night and he, he felt an, uh, just an eerie presence and he rolled over and the devil was sitting in a chair beside him. And he looked right at him and said, oh, it's just you. And he rolled back over and went back to sleep. I don't know if I could do that, but he was supposed to be sleeping right then. He was not supposed to be fighting the devil. Well, here's the point. We, there, are, there are times in our lives that we'll be called to deal with injustice and poverty poverty and, and bigotry and, and evil regimes and standing up for the, the rights of the defenseless. But that's not our first calling. We must stick to the plan. Don't get sidetracked by, by even the decisions of others. Of course we're going to get upset at governments and laws and mandates and even church leader decisions. And we'll be tempted to stop spreading the gospel and fight every wrong, every bad decision, every injustice. And if you choose to do that, you run the risk of fighting in a trench that wasn't intended for you. You can get pinned down. You can get pinned down in that fight and miss out what you're supposed to be doing. In the end, the only thing that will matter is, is did, did you love God? Did you love people? Did you make disciples? So ask yourself, how, how, well, how well did you worship God personally today? How well did you share the love of God with someone today? How well did you focus on disciple making this week? Was the kingdom grown? Was the gospel shown? Or were you just simply fighting against evil? Fighting against evil. I want to tell you that that living your life in your entire life just fighting evil will be an obstruction to the presentation of the gospel. This is the main point of this is don't obstruct the availability of salvation. Don't do it. Yes, we're going to have to fight some things from time to time, but that's not our primary primary call. Our primary call is to love God, love people, make disciples. How well have you done that? And you can, here's a good way to tell um, how, you're, how you're faring in this, this balance, this struggle. Look at your social uh, site. Look at your, your social uh, website pages or what, you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all those things. Look at those sites and see how many of your comments are about things other than the gospel. I mean, add it up. Of course, we're not going to talk about the gospel in every single sentence. We're not going to be seeking to share the gospel in every single situation. We we have to do other things too. But is there a balance? Is there a balance there? Are you out of balance in in what you're talking about? My my inkling is is that most of us, because of the political season, and the upcoming election and the, the state of discord in our country, and because of fighting over the, the necessary steps to battle COVID-19, is that the majority of our, our posts, the majority of our comments, the majority of our conversation are going to be about those things and not about the gospel. Just look at it and see where you stand. I know that if we focus on that so much, I know we become obstructionist to the gospel. We have to present the gospel. And the gospel is, is that Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. He wants to walk with you through the things of this life. 
He wants to save you. He wants to deal with your sin. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. If you would just acknowledge him and call him Lord, let him be Lord of your life like Zacchaeus did. You too can be saved. Today, salvation can come to your house if you'll just acknowledge him. Well, some of you are in a place where you have acknowledged him, but you sort of lost track because of the hype in the season. I want to pray that you are able to focus. But others of you, you've never had a relationship with Jesus. He's never saved you. You've never acknowledged him as Lord. And I want to pray for you too. And I want to pray for both of those camps right now. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that there's many people listening to this who will... Who will um, absolutely identify with this issue because they love you and they serve you, but they've they've been sidetracked from presenting the gospel just so they can have a voice and an argument in the in the current policies and events of the day. Help them to focus on the gospel and pointing people towards you. And there are other folks who don't know you at all. Father, give them the the courage to receive you into their lives today, acknowledge you as Lord. Help them to admit their sin to you and call you Lord and promise to live for your glory and you would save them. I ask that you would accomplish both of these things today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this helps you some. I know this passage has helped me. Remember, God's for you. He he believes in you. He knows that you can live this way. So let's commit doing just that today. Well, I hope you're blessed. If you need me, call me. You can find my information at fbcclover.com or fbcclover.life. Send me a text. Send me an email. I'd love to pray with you or just sit down and have a cup of coffee with you anytime, anytime at all. Until next week when we do this again, have a, have a great week and be blessed. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed and remember, God is pro-you.